Well, I wouldn't say that I get it right all the time, and that's one of the things that I've actually spent a lot of time this year thinking about, which is the word grace. Hmm. And how do I give myself grace? Welcome to the Real Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris Obst. I've spent the last 25 years going deep with leaders on the real challenges they face, the stuff that keeps them up at night. Are you ready for raw and honest conversations and the reality that self-leadership and personal growth are the keys to you being the leader that you were meant to be? Well, uh, Dorit, thank you for joining me on the Real Leadership Podcast. I was excited. In fact, you were the first name um, when I was pushed and prompted and cajoled into starting a podcast. You were actually the first person that popped into my head. That is very and, lovely to and, hear. And, thank and you. I remember asking you, uh, and you said absolutely. Like you didn't even hesitate. Um, and that might have been a year ago now. I think so. Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. And you did. We did early days of COVID. We did sort of like a little, um, maybe like a Zoom interview. Yes. We were talking about managing remote teams. Yes, I remember that. that so um, yeah, so welcome, uh, you know, for the for the listeners. I have um, a client I've worked with for years who's become a friend, uh, Dorit Shackleton. Now, Dorit, you have a title. Can I can I read your full title? And Go then, ahead. Because, <laughs> I mean, and since I've known you, I think you've had five titles. And yes. you just keep getting promoted. Um, so Senior Vice President, Head of Customer Advocacy and Adoption Marketing. Right. At SAP. Yeah, it's All a right. lot of vowels and, and words, yes. What does it mean? Um, I think the way to think about it in the simplest um, in the simplest frame is we work with our customers, SAP's customers, across their journey with us. How do they advocate? On uh, you know on our behalf, mm. so we're storytellers right. and creating you know marketing programs around that, and then also after um, when they've used the the solutions for a long time, you know you, you've got to make sure you're with those customers, you're nurturing them, you're checking in with them, mm. and that's a marketing function. Mm. Um, just think about how you interact with brands, right? right? Once you subscribe or buy, you still hear from those brands. You you know even though they may not be trying to sell you something more. Oh, they are. <laughs> Banana <laughs> Republic won't leave me alone. <laughs> but there, you know, you can think of it as nurture, or you can think of it as life cycle. But um, you know, how are they adopting the solutions? Are they getting value? And how are they? How are they experiencing that? And that's a hugely important piece of marketing, especially as we move into cloud, right? right and right. and so yeah, it's a global team, um, around 80, 85 people. Um, in all all uh, regions, <laughs> um, and I've been in that role for about the last two years. Okay, and for the, I mean most people know SAP, but if you were to describe like if you had to explain it to one of your teenage sons, what does SAP do? Oh, it's so weird when you say that. Yes, I have two teenage sons. <laughs> my goodness, um, SAP is a uh, enterprise software giant. Uh, it's one of the largest business software companies in the world and help companies run everything from their HR, from their customer management, from their uh, resource planning, supply chain, you name it. Um, you've got to run a business. You need advanced software to do that right. at a global scale. And SAP is uh, is one of the leaders with uh, you know over 100,000 employees around the world. Wow. Um, head office in Germany. Yes, right. Waldorf, yeah. yeah. Near Frankfurt. Got it. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that the, the title you have now, the role you're in, is a relatively new one. And, and I know that, like I touched on earlier, you have 
your, your career has been dynamic. You've made lots of changes. And I wouldn't mind hearing about some of the stops along the way. I'm wondering if you recall the, where you and I met. Yeah. I remember the exact day. Okay. So so what was your perspective? Why, why did you and I end up talking? Well, <laughs> it was just so interesting that I had signed up for the Leading with Energy executive MBA course that you were instructing. Right, at the Sauter School of Business. Yes, right. UBC. And in at the time, I, I wanted to delve into that more, but I was in a role, it was a leadership role, but it was fairly manageable in terms of work-life balance. I had a pretty small team. Um, it was a great uh, role for me, and uh, so I had a little time, a few cycles where I could invest in myself, and right. so I signed up for that course. Right. And then in between when I'd signed up for it and when the day I took the course, so it was a two-day class, um, I had been asked to take on a role, a bigger role at, um, at SAP um, to lead communications for the global CEO of SAP. And so I knew that that job would be a much, much bigger, heavier, uh, you know, commitment mm-hmm. on all fronts, um, emotionally, mentally, uh, travel, all of that. And so um, I was literally uh, accepting the position <laughs> and the offer from the HR person at SAP, hung up the phone and walked into the solder class with you. Right. Right. So the timing could not have been more perfect. Yeah. And I actually remember you, I might have been at a break or maybe it was after day one, before day two, you came up to me and kind of shared that, that I'm about to embark on something new and this, the timing of this content. So what did, you know, well, you and I will talk about energy management because I know it's a, it's an area where we connected on early, but what did that course do for you? What did the content of that, when you say it came at the right time? Yeah, I mean, it set the foundation for how to manage my life while doing that job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd been used to high pressure roles, I'd been used to global travel, all of that stuff wasn't new, but the level of uh, intensity that that um, role required and the team that I was then in was a whole other ball game. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that energy management concept framework not in terms of you know you got to take breaks and look after yourself and self-care i think i already knew that pretty well yeah you were i mean for for on the bell curve of executives and leaders i'd met i mean you were running you were eating well you were sleeping you were doing a lot of things right that that others don't yeah so what so what was it what was the big yeah i mean i think the biggest And I have repeated this often, what I learned from you, Chris, um, which started then and has continued in our in our work together as as coach um, and and client. But that the the key to it all is how do I maintain and manage and optimize my energy to be the best leader I can be? every in every situation Mm -hmm. so the 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 biggest example i can give is how do you make sure if you know you have a tough conversation coming up or a really complicated decision um to make um or brainstorming something where you need your full self and you really need all of your focus Mm -hmm. you can't do that on half sleep and a bunch of coffee and distracted and i mean you could but it wouldn't be any good right and that's what clicked for me. I want to bring my best energy to those conversations. Um, I don't want to wing it. Even if sometimes winging it works, 
it's not sustainable. For sure. Um, and then the other part of it was, you know, how do I still show up for my kids? How do I show up for my family? How do I, how do I not disappear from my friends' lives? Yeah. Um, and so all of that went into it because going into that role, uh, and really every role since, I, I uh, knew that it would require a whole other, you know, approach. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's so many things you hit on there that, that I want to talk about with you. And, and the one that really resonated was this. So we're going to fast forward to today. Yeah. You mentioned you have teenage, two teenage sons, yes. right? Um, you're not going to get sympathy for me having teenagers, by the way. My, just, my kids are in their 20s. My baby just turned 13. <laughs> that's why I'm just Yeah, no, I, I do remember those days. But what, like if you were to describe to someone you know, a, a newer parent in an executive role in a growing career, like, what have you learned? What are the things you've put in place to manage? Because you really are. I mean, you keep getting promoted. You're, you're involved in your kids' lives. You, you have a, you know, a great relationship with Pete. Like, there's, there's a lot going on. You're there for your family. How do you do that? What have you learned and how? Well, I wouldn't say that I get it right all the time. And that's one of the things that I've actually spent a lot of time this year, 21, thinking about, which is the word grace. Hmm. And how do I give myself grace? Because when you put it to me in that way, it does feel overwhelming. <laughs> and I think, I Sorry. don't know how I do that. And I probably don't do it well. And then that sends me down a spiral of not enough, which hmm. I'm trying to manage myself right being right. very open and vulnerable here yeah. um, which I know I can be with you I will encourage it <laughs> um, yeah so you know I try to give myself grace you don't have to show up for all of those people and groups in your life every day at the same time mm -hmm. and so that is the part that's a key is where do you show up intentionally some days it's going to be the kids uh, first and other things have to wait. Sometimes work has to take precedence and, you know, other, other things don't get my time. Yeah. Can I, can you give me an example of a time in the past month or two months where you gave yourself grace and what that sounded like? Because I think these stories, these really specific nuggets are what everyone's searching for. I mean, they get it in theory, but it's like, how do you actually do it? Yeah, I'll give you a, an example that was actually turned out to be a really nice moment. Um, so, you know, schedule-wise, I'm I'm pretty booked up. And so there's not a lot of natural breaks and free time, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that's a constant struggle. And I have an assistant who looks out for me and tries to block, you know, some time so I can think or eat or whatever. But um, just recently, I had... Uh, signed up with my kid's school, um, my, my older son is in grade 10, um, to do, uh, for his careers class, to do a mock interview. So they were looking for parent okay. volunteers to do like a mock job interview. So the, so the students could practice yeah. interviewing, and so you were going to be the interviewer. I was going to be the interviewer for a, a job, you know, some generic job that, that they were interviewing for. Right. I mean, and I had signed up, because I'm not someone who is on the pack, and I'm not someone who bakes cookies for the Christmas market. So this was something I could do. Right. I had something to give here. So I, I volunteered. And then as that day approached, I realized how busy I was going to be on that day. And I didn't also realize the time commitment was like, 
you know, well over an hour. It was it was almost two hours of my time that the teacher was looking for. You thought it might have been twenty minutes. Yes. Out. Okay. Yes. Got it. Plus, I had to do the marking on on each student I was interviewing. It was just much more involved than I had anticipated. And Pete, you mentioned my husband. You know, uh, uh, had just said, "Look, they don't understand how busy you are. You just need to back out gracefully because it's it's not possible." And I and I said, "No, you know what." I want to do this. I committed to doing it, and I am going to find a way to do it. So I gave myself the grace to not be uh, in a few meetings that I would have needed to be on that day and not beat myself up about it right. at work. Yeah, I have a team. I have a leadership team who's extremely capable. They could sit in for me on, on occasion and, and different meetings absolutely brilliantly um so i gave my full attention to the kids yeah we were on zoom they were dressed up in suits and dresses and um well prepared and and i actually found so much energy and joy from that two hours with the kids that uh it gave me a whole you know i was buzzing by the end of it and nothing fell apart at work and so I realized, you know, you can make those decisions, you can pivot, okay, that's not what my day was supposed to be like, but uh, I'm going to give my energy to someone else, and it's okay. It's okay to back away from one thing to give energy to another, mm-hmm. and it actually worked out really, really beautifully. It sounds like it, yeah. So um, in our coaching work together, usually after a story like this, I would say, so, so what's the lesson learned there? I think the biggest lesson, and this has run through my career and my life, is I don't have to be everywhere and do everything. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it doesn't serve my team or really anyone around me for me to try to do that. Yeah. And maybe it's a control thing. <laughs> maybe it's a, it's a habit that I need to unlearn. Um, it's a work in progress. You know, yeah. just because you can do something doesn't mean you need to be the one to do it. Right, right. Yeah, so that's probably the lesson. Yeah. Well, and you're not alone. I mean, high-performing people like yourself um, put high expectations on themselves and high demands. And, you know, one of the things that I find myself saying, and I know you and I have talked about, is like, okay, I get that you can work hard. I get that you're driven. I get that you got a big battery. Because you do. You're, you're a high-energy person. And you do a lot of the things to give yourself more energy, right? But I often ask about, is that model scalable, right? Yes, yes. And and so what does that mean to you when I ask you about that? Are, are you working with a scalable model? Oh, it's been, I would say, a game changer, that idea, because you can't just work more and more and more and more, even if you say work smarter, it's still more work. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so you need to find other ways. I, I heard actually on another podcast um, just recently this phrase that really hit me between the eyes, which is everything works for you until it doesn't. And so I thought about that also with the scaling concept yeah. of what's worked for me up until now won't get me to that next level. And it also, again, crucially, and this helps me because it's not self-serving, it won't serve my team. Right. They don't need that from me. They need empowerment. They need freedom. They need, uh, you know, a, a, a clear vision and clear direction. But then, you know, they're better than me at, at, you know, all sorts of things. So they don't need me to do it for them. Right, right. right. So what hit me about when you said there, everything works until it doesn't. And, you know, it's like you got promoted, 
right? But by, by having a certain work ethic and putting in X number of hours. So it's, I think it's hard for high performing people to let go of what made them successful. Absolutely. <laughs> I've spent so much time thinking about that because the, the signals that you get by doing those particular things and yeah. leading with those strengths get you success or results or whatever. And so then you realize you're at a point where those particular strengths aren't what are needed for the next stage. And it is a bit of a, you know, a gut punch because that's how you operate. And yeah. I guess that's the growth mindset. That's for sure. The, you know, and I guess being aware of it is super helpful. I know for me, it's very, that's why I say it really knocked me between the eyes when I heard it because I thought, oh, that applies to me. Yeah. <laughs> but not losing the things that you still want to keep. Correct. And so it's, it's. I think of it as like a bit of a leap of faith, right? Okay. So people are saying that I got to kind of let go of some of these behaviors and hab habits to grow and allow my people to grow. So I'm kind of trusting because intellectually I understand it, but every fiber of me says, yeah, but I got promoted and paid and bonused and accoladed for doing all right. this stuff. So yeah, it is, it is, I love that you brought up the growth mindset because I think that's really what separates, you know, high performers in all aspects of life. Um, you know, there's nothing I like more than meeting an 80 year old with that sparkle in their mm -hmm. eye and a curiosity. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I hate more than a 40 year old that talks like they've seen it all, know it all and- Agreed. Right? It's yes. just so draining. Yes, it is, yeah. it is. It's, and it's very negative. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. one of the things I wanted to pick up on is you are what I would call a people-focused or heart-centered leader. Yeah. And I know you know what I mean by that yeah. because that is part of your brand. And it's not like you and I have been around business for a similar amount of time, me longer than you. That's not something that was really valued in the early days or, or talked about. Or talked about. Right. So what does that mean to you? Or what does it feel like when I say, you know you're a heart-centered leader? Yes, yes. Well. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this too because it was something that I had to sort of uh, accept and, and embrace about myself rather than try to change. So one of the things is, and I actually have done this with my team um, in, in the past, but you know, one of the things is the empathy of knowing how I was treated by mm. previous managers and bosses. And I've done this segment um, with, my, with my leadership team called horrible bosses like the movie <laughs> and and you know let's really just talk about this no names but what have you learned because you learn more from the horrible bosses sadly and you think got it never want to be treated that way and will never treat anyone like that again right right, right. myself when i'm in a position to be yeah. the boss yeah do you remember the worst way you were treated by a boss what comes to mind when you think of those words? I mean, you, you yeah. probably worked hard to try and put them out of your mind. Yeah. But obviously, some bad managerial or leadership behaviors oh, inspired you. For sure. What, what jumps out is... L lack of trust. Mm -hmm. Lack of trust. Um, I had one manager who uh, uh, believed the worst in people until proved otherwise. And it mm. was painful. And I use that word really deliberately. Yeah. It was painful to not be trusted when I know that I am trustworthy. Right, right. Um, there, was, there was somebody who, uh, well, this is a very uh, visceral example, but there, uh, and this is why I always check my emails and double check my emails, but we had, I had, was about to be promoted um, years and years ago into my first management role and they were going to send out the big announcement, the organizational announcement, um, and I was so looking forward to that. And then when uh, this particular boss hit send, he didn't bother to look at the bottom 
And while it was this, all this lovely language about announcing Dorit in this role, at the bottom they had left all of the HR back and forth conversation, including my compensation. Oh my goodness. And it went out to hundreds if not thousands of people. Okay. So I actually hit the floor. <laughs> um, and two things happened from that. One is I have a, as I said, visceral, um, you know, sensitivity to anything to do with privacy, people's money, and, and email etiquette, you know, just double checking, making sure I know who it's going to and that it's, it's correct. Right. And the other is that when that did happen to me, I had a group of colleagues around the company who just closed in on me and took care of me. And I really felt very supported and mm. loved by, you know, there were people who just, as I said, they just took care of me, you know, and it was, it was just a bad, bad moment. Um, and we got over it, you know, and now I can tell the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cringe, yeah. Yeah. So that's an example of, you know, I would say that's a horrible boss behavior. You know? Yeah, it's sad how many times I'm in a room full of, you know, say managers, and I'm asking them about the behaviors of the best leaders they've had, and then the ones of the worst leaders. And it's not that there's no examples of best, but there's less. There seem to be more examples, which, mm. you know, what's handy for me, because it creates a, a marketplace for me to, yeah, to sure. apply my craft. Right. But um, security. I, yeah, like I'm always <laughs> mining for those stories about the great leaders and the most inspirational. Is there is there a leader in your past that that inspired you? Because we can all learn from how not to do it. Yes. But is there a leader or two and you feel free to, to share their name if you if you'd like to, who who really lit that spark in you or believed in you that that kind of elevated you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there have been several, and, and certainly at SAP, there's some brilliant leaders who've inspired and supported and, and sponsored me. Um, but the example that comes to mind when you ask was actually the first the first one. Really? So my very first job was with Hewlett Packard, HP, um, right out of university, and I was in a sales role. So I had a quota <laughs> of a million dollars. I always remember I had a quota of a million dollars, but I was too young to rent a car. Right. <laughs> um, I was 24 and um, so did well in my first couple of years. And it's, you know, it's all relationships. Mm -hmm. I wasn't an electrical engineer or a computer engineer, but I did have a strong skill of, you know, building very, very good relationships with, with customers. So you were selling office equipment? Like, I was selling. No, it wasn't the printer side. It was the enterprise servers, gotcha. software consulting. Right. Yeah, it was, okay. uh, it was enterprise accounts. And I had, um, you know, all of these mostly men around me at the office who were uh, MBAs and engineers. And really, I looked at them like these just, you know, captains, like they were just so impressive. And they had many, many years of, you know, customer um, success with them, uh, you know, kind of walking around the office with right. this aura. And one of them, um, the top guy, the sort of head honcho, um, took me out for lunch. I didn't even know he knew my name. And he took me out for lunch. And he said, aim high. Hmm. And I, I don't remember the rest of the lunch, but I remember those two words because what I got from that is he saw something in me. Mm. And that's when I started to see it in myself. Right. So that's, that's a pretty cool message at 24 years old yeah. to get and for, for you to hear it. Right. Because I think he, there's wisdom around that people share, but we're not always in a position to, to hear it or to do something with it, but it obviously resonated with you. And also, well, you know, it's kind of like 
it's kind of like when your mom or dad says good job versus the coach. Yeah. He had so much credibility. He was in the job. He was super successful and had that reputation and track record. And I was new. And he saw something in me, you know, to say, open your aperture, open your mind to aiming higher than maybe what you would think of for yourself. Right, right. You can subscribe to our podcast and the Keep Growing newsletter at chrisobst.com. Um, what I wanted to ask you about next was about coaching because, you know, in fact, this is the room that you and I have spent a lot of hours in uh, coaching uh, in, in your many roles in your career. And now, you know, there are a handful of clients that stand out. I've been coaching for about 25 years and um, there's clients that are a joy to coach. Um, and I put you in that category and I'll tell you why. And then I'd love to hear your perspective on coaching is because when you show up, you always are present and I know you got a big busy job and a big busy life but you to me you've made an investment in time money and energy in your development so you show up ready even if you have to finish a call in the parking lot before you get in which is not uncommon right right right. but you show up ready and open and then the other thing you do which us coaches and I'm still trying to let go of this is like we do our best. You can't control what your client does with the work, right? Right, right. But I like people to change and grow, right? Right. And maybe it's my ego and need to prove my worth, but you always take something on. Every time you left here, I felt like like you made your notes and you said, okay, Chris, this is what I'm going to commit to. And then you go and you friggin' do it or at least try it. And and as a coach, that is so, that's what you want. It's like, okay, th- this person was open, they're curious. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm telling you what to do, but we're having a conversation, we're uncovering some things that look like upgrades. And so from my perspective, that's how I saw you leverage coaching. And I think you've done well with it. And the reason you continue to seek out coaching is because it's working. Yeah. What, what's your perspective? What have you learned about coaching and, and how, how it's helped you? Sure. Well, I mean, one of the things I would start to say is that it's not all coaches or any coach. I think you bring a lot of Mm -hmm. not just value. That's kind of an overused word. I mean, you know your stuff, but you seem invested in me. Mm -hmm. And so I trust you. And that's how we started. So for, for me to be present and open and willing and all those things is because I feel that you're in my corner. You truly, really want me to do well with all of this stuff. And you've seen me take on bigger, you know, roles and you, you're happy for me. So that means a lot that, that, hmm. uh, you, you know, know what? No one's ever said to me what you just said to me. And oh. I, I can't tell you how meaningful that is. Oh, well, like, you should hear it. I know what I did. There you and go. so I yeah. didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah. I, I honestly was moved by what you just oh, said. So well, thank you. I'm glad. But it's a big part of why, you know, I mean, like anything, I mean, I have, you know, one of my kids um, a couple of years ago had a teacher who clearly just wasn't, he was, he was phoning it in and mm-hmm. he didn't do well in his class. And, you know, the whole thing was show him that you're in his corner, that you want the best for him. Right. Kids feel that off their teachers and and you know I, I would put myself in that category of, you know I need to feel that from a boss or a coach or a friend right in order to be open yeah so what would you say to to um, a leader and executive that's you know working their way through their career that's never experienced coaching like what would you like what would you say to them to to encourage them to be open to it or to, like how, how to be successful mm-hmm. in it well I think we all have patterns we want to break 
And hopefully as an adult, you're willing <laughs> to look at those patterns clearly without ego. I call it looking at the ugly stuff, like <laughs> look at it if you want to break a pattern that's mm -hmm. in life and in work. So if you've got a pattern you want to break or you feel like you're stuck in a scenario, it's not working for you, a coach can absolutely help you see it and give you, and this is crucial, mm -hmm. tactical things to do to improve. Right, right. Right. Which is, which is one of the things that, you know, I've not struggled with, but been aware of in my career as a coach is that, you know, pure co-active coaching is the coach just asking. So Dorit, uh, what challenges are you facing? Right. Why is that a challenge? What have you considered? What do you think your next steps are? And I, I think there's value in that, in that coaching. But in pure coaching, the coach doesn't offer suggestions, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And and I know one of the things that the dynamic that's developed between you and I is you say, well, what do you think? What would you do? Or, you know, sometimes it's like, give the client the bullet to put in the gun and tell them where to point it. It's, it's probably going to help them. Like yeah. we can accomplish something in 10 minutes. And um, it's, it's sort of a, sort of like a fine balance between, you know, teaching and consulting and coaching. And I know that's sort of where you and I have gotten to where sometimes yeah. it's you hearing your own words. Yeah. That's the aha moment. And sometimes it's me hearing your words and feeding them back to yes. you and then saying, well, have you thought about this or yeah. So yeah. With context. That's the thing over time because you know me well enough and you maybe know about something that happened before that you can bring back into the conversation. Right. That's hugely helpful. Yeah, right? yeah. And the other thing I would say to your question about what I'd say to others is, you know, you may know it in theory. I know a lot of things in theory. Yeah. The simplest thing about splitting the signal <laughs> from the battery pack. Yeah. I think about that so often, Chris, because I'm guilty of forgetting that lesson all the time and I and I again give myself the grace to yeah. know it's a it's a journey right so for the people listening Dory who who don't know what splitting the signal means what does it mean to you yeah well I learned it from you um, which is that you've got one source of energy if you think of it like when you go away camping and you've got a, a, a portable battery pack and then you start plugging things into it whatever that may be the air mattress or the the lanterns the or blender the blender the <laughs> yeah, I guess we take blenders to right get a margaritas yeah <laughs> um and each thing that you plug into it is going to get less and less and less energy less power right until the whole thing goes down yeah. and so that's what we are we only have a finite amount of energy in a given day yeah or focus or attention and I, the other thing you know that you you talked about back then in um at solder was about um multitasking being a myth mm -hmm. but we all do it let's yeah. be real yeah, we, we all try. We all try. Yes, it doesn't always go well. But I, I do slip back into that. So there's things that are very specific and very, um, that you can just summon simply and easily. That are that, That's why I say tactical, because it's something very hands-on mm -hmm. that you can use to kind of get yourself out of those patterns. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. And I do, I also appreciate that about you, is that you're willing to go back to the basics. You're willing to go back to things we talked about you know a few years ago and say right Chris we, I need to come back to this because I've, I've slipped away and, and you know what that speaks to is we're not perfect um, it's not like you learn it once and you're fixed forever right but but you also don't need to beat yourself up you're not that far away from regrouping and I know you and I in our work together there's often times where it's like okay Chris it's, I need to come back to here yes and it's like okay good I get yes. it that, and that makes sense and and that's perfectly normal that's part of learning and growing um, 
What I want to ask you about next, and if you're not comfortable going there, no problem at all, is I remember two times in your life and career where, where you were dealing with some heavy stuff. I remember one job that was really, really, really hard for you was just the demands were so high and challenging. There was loads of travel to Europe yes. and you were expected to be at dinners and meetings. and Yes. And then, and then there was, you know, some personal stuff going on with some health in the family. And I remember watching you navigate that and leaning on energy management yes. to support you. So I'm, if you're comfortable sharing either or both of those, I think these stories are so valuable for us because we all have a story and a journey that we're on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly, and this is something I've been hearing uh, around uh, with my peers as well recently, is we don't know what people are carrying. Mm. You know, everyone brings their game face to work, but especially during pandemic, work and life blurred. And I think there was just much more acceptance that the things that you may be handling at home or in your extended family or what have you are still with you, you know, and, and affect how you show up to work. Yeah. Um, in the case of all the travel, there was a period of a few years where I was traveling very often, um, not certainly not as much as some people, you know, there are some people who are on a plane every week, um, but it was long haul travel. It was, you know, back and forth to Germany. And when I was there, I was there for a week or two. So right. sometimes over the course of two weekends. And and so that was hard for me personally, of course, being away from my family. Yeah. But also that that sense of, of weekend restoring balance wasn't really there because I'm right. still working or I'm around work people, even if they're friendly dinners or lunches. Yeah, you're still on in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. And so I found sleep very hard during mm. that time. Um, just being able to shut down you know, mm -hmm. at the end of a day, you just don't have that little buffer of being home with your family and completely thinking of other things. Right, right. That was just not available to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, what was the question about? Well, it, it was just like, like what you, because you did navigate. You, I remember you making changes to or maybe what time you fly in or That's like right. creating these structures and strategies because it was your job. You couldn't say no to traveling to Europe. But right. you did you did tweak things and manage through it. And, yes. And um, also, what's interesting, you said that about you know the buffer and, yeah. and time with your family. I think those are the things that, until they're taken from us temporarily, you don't really appreciate what they're doing for you. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, I I do work with you know very sp uh, repeatable techniques, and mm -hmm. I also work on with mantras. Right. My, I'm a big mantra person, yes. so I figured out that the formula that worked for me when I was traveling during the week when I was going to work in a, you know, in a foreign office or what have you, was sleep, run, coffee. <laughs> and it had to be all three in that order. So I needed to make sure I got good sleep, even if it was 6 p.m. to 3 a.m., at least it was solid sleep. Right. And then I would wait for the sun to come up. I would go for a run. I would always make sure I was safe, even if it was you know, pitch black or I'd find someone to go with. Right. Um, and then I would find a very good, and I mean, I would go to a different place than the hotel if the hotel didn't have good enough coffee. Right. And make sure I had a really good, strong Americano. Mm. And then I was fine. Right. I could go for the day. Yeah. And then the other thing I did for myself was, you know, you have to throw a little bit of 
joy and, and um, you know, maybe a little bit of extravagance. That's what works for me. I need to feel like I can indulge. So mm-hmm. I would book a spa treatment or I would go for a two and a half hour run by myself and just not talk mm-hmm. to anybody and just listen to classical music. And so I would give myself those things without apology, without guilt and then be able to come back to, you know, the demands. Yeah. Uh, so well explained. And I think that's what a lot of people wrestle with is um, this kind of like, well, this is my job and I drive hard. And y- you're not a machine. You're a human being. And, and human beings break down probably faster than machines. And so when I hear you talk about sleep, run coffee, I mean, those are rituals that, that really feed you right so in a way they're nurturing you but they're they're feeding you and setting you up for success and that you know i'm the same like the first part of my day there's the investments i make in myself and i know there's people that think i'm selfish or neurotic but i I don't care it works for me i know that if i can control that first hour and put the right inputs in that set me up then i can handle a lot of the shit that comes at me that i'm not expecting exactly and that build resiliency but the other thing is that you said the extravagance, the deep nurturing of yourself. And I think that's what's lost on a lot of people, why a lot of executives won't take vacations because, oh, I'm on my phone all the time. Like to really invest in your soul as a human. And it's hard when you're a, you know, you're a mom and you're a wife and you're, you're active in your community. There's, everyone wants a piece of you. And, and I often ask leaders, what do you do for you? Yeah. What do you just do for you? And I don't, I don't know what you've seen, but I, I see a lot of leaders have let that go because of all the demands we talked about, family and, and career and whatnot. Yeah, I was talking about that exact topic with a fellow um, mom friend of mine. And we said, you know, we learned that lesson, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were having our kids in the mommy stage of put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. We learn that lesson. Right. And one of the things we talk about is that our mom's generation didn't necessarily learn that lesson, right? It's put everyone before yourself. 100%. So we were different in that way. I'm speaking, you know, generally. Um, And now it's another kind of round of learning that lesson as an executive, as a leader of teams of people where you do need to take care of yourself so you can be there for everybody else. Yeah. It doesn't work any other way. The other way for me is if I haven't slept, I haven't, I've skipped the run, then it's too much coffee. <laughs> and then by about two o'clock, I'm in the bathroom having a little cry because mm-hmm. I need to release the, the stress and pressure somehow. And that is not a, a formula that I want for myself. No. And if it does happen, you give yourself grace and you go, you go look right. at the inputs and say, okay, what are the inputs that right. led to this? Yeah. And what do I have to do differently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think those are the pieces where we don't talk about them enough. I love hearing that you were talking with a, a, a colleague about this. If you were to, um, to go back and speak to, you know, Dorit, in her late 30s or early 40s, new mom, you know, in a in a career, what would be the the two or three messages that you'd like to give her that to maybe? And I know you and I wouldn't trade any of the bumps, the hardships, the setbacks we've had because we know growth comes yeah. out of those. Yeah. But if there was some advice that you would give to somebody who who's back there, what what would you say? What would be a couple of tips? Yeah, just take a deep breath. <laughs> just take it easy. <laughs> you know, I was just running so, uh, I wouldn't even say running so fast. I was so hard on myself. I don't know why. Hmm. I don't think I ever let anybody down. That's the irony. 
So I would just go back. I mean, one thing I'm so proud of that I wouldn't have to say to her, especially in my like in, in my 30s when I was having my babies, was uh, be in the moment. I was. Mm-hmm. That is something I'm mm-hmm. super proud of. I didn't wish time away. I was. I was there. Yeah. But I think that I did always feel like I should be doing more. I should be doing. You know. Um, other things I don't know I mean I can't even really put a fine point on it but I wish that I could just take a deep breath and relax and and just be you know okay with how much I was giving at the time yeah that you were enough and and you're not perfect right and you'll never be perfect right yeah yeah I I find myself in all the work I'm doing now to saying this is not about perfection right I don't know why like it's not written anywhere but I I think it's just what I feel from the people that I work with is they're high performers and they want to get it right and they're used to getting it right and um yeah we can let go of perfection that's kind of liberating right yeah and I mean I know we both love Brene I mean this is one of the things that we I have also learned in the probably the last 10 years is that perfection actually doesn't serve anybody it's a kind of defense mechanism right I mean if you are confident enough to present yourself with all your flaws that's more of a strength than being perfect in every way people can't relate to that no no well you know maybe in in terms of wrapping up uh, we talked about you know looking back and what advice you'd give looking forward like leadership has shifted in in your career and mine there's definitely some some flavor and style of leadership we have different generations in the workplace now that have some different values and different um relationships with their career yeah what where do you see leadership going and or what advice do you have for current leaders at your level above or below and what we need to be paying attention to to build great teams inspire people keep people yeah, I, I go back to that heart-centered empathy 100%. Um, I, I'm not alone in believing that this is a secret, and or not secret, but a, you know extremely powerful um, tenet of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some have embraced it more than others. Right. I came naturally to it because that's how I wanted to be led. So to my point about you know previous bosses, um, right. I would say key into, let me tell a quick story and sure. then I, I'll explain what I mean. My one of my first jobs when I actually was promoted out of that sales role back in the beginning, and I was uh, I was uh, recruited to come to the headquarters of HP in California, yeah. and it was a big job for a young person. Um, so I moved to San Francisco, and my first day on the job, the boss's boss's boss, so three <laughs> levels above, asked to meet with me, and wow. I thought that he was going to tell me what he expected and what the vision for the department was and all that. And I'll never forget, he looked me in the eye in the kindest way possible, and he just said, you will be successful here. Hmm. We are so glad to have you. We're so glad you made the move from Canada, and, and you know, this is going to work. What did that feel like for you? It, it, was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, first of all, a surprise because I was sure. expecting a different speech. Um, and, and so I think he was ahead of his time. Yeah. He poured so much, I mean, what, what's the word? It's love. Mm-hmm. It was love and kindness and mm-hmm. belief. Mm-hmm. And also it was, pay, I mean, it was um, giving me the credit before I'd ever delivered anything. Right. Right, which is the definition of trust. Yeah. So I felt valued and I wanted to rise to that expectation and I did a great job. And I try to do that for the, the younger people on my team and also, you know, anyone who comes to me for coaching or mentoring, 
I want people to feel acknowledged and seen and loved. Mm -hmm. I mean, not in a family way. We are a team. We're not a family. But, you know, I want them to feel that from me and from any leader so that they rise to do their best work. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they're happy doing it. Doesn't mean that everything is okay and, and that I don't set high expectations or I don't let them know when they've fell short of the mark. It does not mean that. No, because that, that's part of your job and right. that's the other part of being effective. Right. And that's kind as well, right? To be honest and, 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 and give constructive feedback. But I think if leaders, more leaders keyed into that mm-hmm. as opposed to results, bottom line, I think that the great work, the great ideas, they follow that belief and that you know just feeling seen and feeling valued so that's where i hope it's going yeah that's beautifully said i agree with you and um that's the thing i would say in in every job you've had since i've known you your investment in your people they felt it um and i've had the pleasure of coaching people on your team and i know the impact you're having on them and i can see um, how inspiring it is, and and it is it is changing culture. And I know you work for an awfully big organization, but yeah. you know we shouldn't underestimate the power of that. Like if you truly invest in someone, I know what you're saying about love. Like you know, love means a lot of things in our society, but but from a, a leadership point of view, it, it means trust. It means investing in people. Do they feel your investment and 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 your honesty and I know you've always done that. Um, I want to thank you for your investment in in, in me today and, yeah, and coming fun. and spending time. This was, I mean, I have no idea how much time we're at, but well, Dory, um, in, in our time together, it's probably about an hour or something like that. I mean, there's some key things that you've said that I just wanted to underline. And, you know, one is this this idea of giving yourself grace, which clearly you're doing. And I know it's not easy, um, but I think there's something in there for all of us to, to give ourselves grace in the moment, uh, in the day, the week, the month, to be imperfect. Um, and it's a way of kind of nurturing and fueling ourselves. So um, the other thing is just your, you know, your stories about when people invested in you, when you felt the love, when you felt the investment, the belief in you, what it did for you, and how you continue to do that and inspire the the people that are working for you. And, um, you know, the, the idea that we don't have to be perfect. And um, it's a journey. And you continue to invest in yourself just just like I do. And I, I hope that uh, the people listening are inspired by that, that, you know, um, we're never done. Uh, and it can be a lot of fun along the way. And, and, and today was a lot of fun for me. I hope hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's always a great conversation with you, Chris. Yeah. So it's, um, it's Friday afternoon. So um, I'm imagining you're probably going to be going for a run around the Peloton. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I better hear about a glass of wine <laughs> yes, afterwards. That's the, that's the afternoon <laughs> mantra then. Is like run, wine, sleep at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And mine's going to look similar too. So awesome. um, thanks again for doing you this. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. The Real Leadership Podcast is produced by Chris Obst Leadership and Alive Creative Services. Thank you for listening.